Everybody just say amen. amen. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Do not allow yourself to be out amen by a two-year-old, okay? <laughs> well, I want to welcome all of those who are joining us uh, over the internet with our Facebook live stream. We hope that this will be an encouragement to you. I want to ask you to join with me now in turning to the book of Ruth. or what I often refer to as the Gospel of Ruth. Ruth chapter 1, we are continually working our way through Ruth verse by verse. And this morning, our focus is going to be verses 11 through 14. But I'm going to begin our reading in verse 6. <clears throat> this is all part of the same section. I want to ask you to follow along as I read Ruth chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. Let us hear the Lord's word today. Then she, that is Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and had given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. May God bless the reading of his word today and write its eternal truths on our hearts. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for the time now to come and listen to you. And so I pray that you would help us set everything aside. Every distracting thought, every worry, every concern. We pray that you would speak clearly now through your spirit. And that we would be able to see our blessed Lord Jesus in all his glory today. Lord, open our eyes, open our heart. Do a great work in your church, we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. A kiss. It's, a, it's kind of a funny thing, isn't it? A kiss. It's a, it's a very intimate thing, right? It's an act of love. A very high act of love. But a kiss is also a sign, isn't it? A kiss is a signal that 
that things are good, that things are okay. We kiss each other as a greeting. We kiss each other goodbye. Uh, at a wedding, the minister will go through the ceremony, and then one of the last thing he does is, is when it's over, what does he do? He looks to the groom and says, you may kiss the bride. And then that kiss is not just a kiss. Oh, well, thank you for your permission. I will. No, it's, it's an act. It's a symbol that this has been sealed, and, and this is it. It's a real marriage now, right? And the celebration can begin. We, we kiss when we greet someone close to us. We don't kiss everyone, do we? I hope not. Uh, I'm glad that that thing uh, that they do in some countries never caught on here. You know what I'm talking about, where they, where they grab each other and they do the side to side. Where They don't really kiss, right? They're just kind of cheek to cheek and they kiss the air. I'm glad we don't do that. We, we kiss people that we're close to, the people that we're supposed to kiss. We kiss our spouses and, and our kids and grandkids and maybe close family. We don't kiss everybody, right? We kiss as, a, as an act, but we kiss as a sign. When we uh, greet someone, hey, I'm glad to see you. I hope you kiss your spouse when you have been away. Or when you're leaving. If, if you don't, what does that mean? That's a signal. Something's not right. I'm not kissing him. Not after what you said. Oh, 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 oh. I'm sorry I said that. You make things right. Now we can kiss. Now things are right. By the way, I, I did say that kisses are for spouses. Okay? I'm not wrong about that, boys and girls. Kisses are for people who are married. Sometimes the absence of a kiss can signal something, right? In our story today, it signals a, a strange twist in the story. It is uh, the kiss that never was, I'm calling it. And this is a, indeed a strange story in many ways. It's taken several twists and turns already, and it's going to take even more as we go through the story. A, a very unusual twist today. It's a story that's unusual. We, we might even look at the decisions that are being made today, at least by one person, and say, boy, how foolish. What a foolish decision. At least by the world's reckoning it is. Well, guess what? The way of God may seem foolish at times. I'm sure it does to the world. It may seem foolish. It may even be bitter. But it's the only way. It's the only way. So which way will you go? That is the question for you today as we come to our text, our, our approach to our, our passage, the verses that we're going to consider today. I want us to see two observations and then a question. Two observations and then a question. And the first observation that I want you to notice is what I'm calling the foolishness of God. 
you may not like that phrase. Well, it comes right out of Scripture, and we'll see it here in just a minute. But I want us to notice the foolishness of God. We, we consider this situation here with Naomi and these daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, and uh, well, we might ask, how does this relate to us? What does this have to do with us? Well, I think there are several things that we can see. And the first thing that I want us to consider this morning is the setting. We've kind of talked about this before, but let's return here for a moment to the idea of, of the setting and, and just think about this. Uh, if we were to consider this book a play, we're still in Act 1, Scene 2. Uh, today. Now scene one, if you'll remember, took place uh, back in Moab, and, and it was really a, an ugly scene. A bad scene. Bad things happen. <laughs> there had been a famine that had driven this family. Naomi and her family have gone to Moab. They've left the promised land. And they've come to Moab. And we looked at passages that talked about how Moab was the enemy. This is a, a foreign nation. They worship foreign gods. They're, they're uh, the enemy. But they've come to escape the famine. And then things get worse. The husband, uh, father, Elimelech, dies. And then the two sons die. And things are just compounded. And so what we have here in this early section of Ruth, the first scene, is really just a picture of just bleak. Uh, it's, it's just terrible. There, there's famine and, and judgment and death and exile. <laughs> Nothing really good. So, so Naomi, along with her two daughters-in-law, decide to leave. Now this takes us to scene two. Where exactly does scene two take place? Well, we don't know. A mystery. Somewhere between Moab and Bethlehem, verse 7 says, on the way. So these three widows originally all set out to go back to Bethlehem. There had been a, a glimmer of hope in the story. In all of this bleakness, Naomi has heard that the Lord has visited his people. And that there's food again in Bethlehem. And so she says, okay, I, I'm going back. And the, and the girls go with her. <clears throat> but it seems that along the way, something dawns on Naomi. And she stops. And this band of, of, of these three widows stops here. Maybe they just stopped in the middle of the road. I, I kind of picture a, a dirt path. <laughs> And she tells them, this is wrong for you. You, you should not go. <clears throat> the, the best option for them, as Naomi expressed it to them, was for, for them to remarry. They have no future without remarrying because uh, in, in that time a, a widow to have provision needed a husband. And the best bet for Ruth and, and Orpah to have that was to go back, turn around. Go back. Verse 9 tells us that Naomi kissed them. Did you see that? And, and what is she doing? Well, she's telling them goodbye. This is a permanent goodbye, right? You're going back. I'm going on to Bethlehem. Probably never see you again. <coughs> it tells us 
that they lifted up their voices and wept. So this is an emotional scene. This is a heart-wrenching scene. Uh, the story kind of goes through quick, but don't miss these words. They lifted up their voice, and it wasn't just a quiet weeping. This is wailing. This is bawling. There are people who have been together for a long, long time about to part ways. It appears initially that both Ruth and Orpah refuse her counsel. Verse 10, no, we will return with you to your people. Let's take a second and look again. We've done it before, but I want to hone in for a moment on this word, return. Now, this is the key word in chapter 1. Okay? It recurs over and over and over. And clearly, this is what we are supposed to see, is this, this theme here of return. Uh, in, in verse 8, Naomi ha had told them to return. Now in verse 10, they say, no, we will return with you. And notice they say, to your people. Now that's a, that's a little hint there, okay? There's, there's something going on here. There's a sense of loyalty, not just to Naomi, but to her people. And so we recognize that these people, who are these people? These are the Hebrew people. This is Israel, the covenant people of God. Is it possible, we might ask, that a Moabite widow has any hope of a future with God's people? If you will, notice in verse 11 and also verse 12, uh, it says there in the ESV, as I read it, uh, turn back. This is what Naomi tells him, turn back. But it's the same Hebrew word uh, translated in other sections of this chapter, return. And so uh, this word just keeps coming up, doesn't it? Naomi tells him, return, return. Now, we've talked about how in, in some places this word means repent. Uh, we looked at a passage in, in Deuteronomy, if you recall, uh, where the Lord says that when these curses come upon you, return to me. That is, repent of, of, of your evil ways that have brought about my, my judgment on you and, and my chastening of you. Re return, repent. But what I think it means here in Ruth chapter 1 is reversal. In other words, this is the course of Naomi's life. And because uh, Ruth and Orpah have married into this family, this is the direction things are going. They're about to turn. They're about to change. How can they? This, this word also means restore. It's used in Job chapter 42, verse 10, and, and we know that story, don't we? We know what happens at the end of Job after the, the terrible calamity that befalls him, and then he goes through this, this long conversation back and forth with his friends. And there's a good bit of, of uh, similarity to the story of Job and the story of Ruth, by the way. But what happens with Job? This is what Job 42.10 says, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job. Now, that's the same word that we have here in our passage that is return or, or turn back. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. 
And Job had started out very wealthy, but remember, he lost it all. So how can Job's course turn around? How can it change? How can it reverse? Well, only if God intervenes. And, and the same is true of Naomi. She's, she's on a path of death and destruction and despair and judgment and sorrow. How can it change? Well, in her mind, it can't. It can't change. In her mind, it's hopeless. Or is it? Is it, is it really hopeless? <laughs> she thinks it is because as she uh, uses this word, notice it's not only used in our text to describe what is taking place, but she uses the word herself. She's telling them, you return. I'm going to return back to my people. You return back to yours. But what she doesn't know is that this word is signaling for us not just a geographic, physical return back to Bethlehem, but something much greater, something, something spiritual. And even, even a literal returning or reversing of the course of her life and the course of history. She does not know this. And we know because she asked this question, if you'll look there in verse 12, why will you go with me? She says this to her daughters-in-law. Why will you go with me? Now, she's not wanting an answer. This is, this is a rhetorical question. It's really a, a mild rebuke. It's really, don't you see what's happening here? You'd be crazy to go with me. Wake up. You need to snap out of it. You don't need to go with me. Why would you even do that? That's the, that's the sense here. It, it would be foolish for you to go with me. And that's where I get this idea of uh, the foolishness of God. Naomi thinks that nothing good is going to come about for her in her future. And so why would these two girls much younger than her, they've got most of their lives ahead of them. Why would you, why would you come with me? But what's happened with Naomi? Uh, she's just been beaten and battered here so much that she's lost hope and she's, she's lost faith and, and she's forgotten, right? Naomi, don't you remember who your people are? You're going back to your people. Who are these people? This was a nation of slaves that had no hope. But God redeemed them. This was a nation of a million whatever people wandering around for 40 years in the wilderness. How can that many people be fed? How can they get water? This is a nation of nomads wandering around. They get to the land that God had promised them and they go in and conquer. 
How could that happen? Have you forgotten, Naomi, what God has done in the past? You've lost all hope for the future? Suffering may do that to us, right? It, it just, it just kind of wears us down. A and our faith weakens. But this is, this is often how God works, isn't it? Naomi has forgotten, but she has not been forgotten. She has not been forsaken. Her, her course can reverse, regardless of how it looks now. And, and I can say, I think, very clearly that it's the same for all of you. Wherever you are today, ever how low it is for you, things can change. They're going to change. I can tell you definitively that they are. Maybe not in the way that you think. I, I'm not holding out here a false hope for you to be healthy and wealthy and all of that. No, no, no. We're talking about something much, much greater. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul uh, says some very important things to show the, the contrast and the irony between the foolishness of God and the wisdom of the world. He says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God, uh, through wisdom it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. What Paul is saying here is what the world thinks is wisdom is, is really folly. What the world thinks is, is folly is really wisdom. He goes on, for the foolishness of God, you see that? For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And then further he adds this, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. In other words, Naomi and you, if you're in this kind of place, you're right where God can do something great for you. The message of the cross is foolishness, isn't it? You mean that God came into the world and died? You want me to put my faith and trust in that person? And that, and that he came back from the dead? You want me to believe that? It, it's absurd, isn't it? To the world it is. This is the foolishness of God. But that's how God works. He, he brings life from death. He, he makes the weak strong. He, he raises up and, and brings fruitfulness to the barren. That's how God works. And if you're in one of those low places where nothing's going right, or maybe you've suffered great loss, and maybe you feel very weak, and maybe you just don't feel like you have anything, you're probably right where God wants you. The Lord calls a wife 
deserted and grieved, broken and hopeless, and from her brings the Savior of the world. I hope that you believe this foolish message that I'm explaining to you today. The foolishness of God. That's the first observation. The way that God works not only seems to be foolish, but it it's often bitter. As the Lord's people, we often find ourselves having to partake of this bitter cup. And it's not good. It's not refreshing. It's not exhilarating. <laughs> It's, it's bitter. This is where Naomi is. She's been given a very bitter cup to drink. And this is sometimes what the Lord sets before us, right? I mean, what's the most bitter thing you can imagine? That, that really bitter food that, that just, oh, you take a bite and mmm. Certain herbs, certain vegetables like Brussels sprouts. Man, they're, they're pretty bitter, right? A certain medicine, right? There, there's medicines that we know we have to take because they're going to help us. But boy, when we're, when we're taking them, they're, oh man, they're hard to swallow, hard to choke down. Uh, Naomi says here in verse 13, it is exceedingly bitter for me. Not just bitter, but exceedingly bitter. Uh, she's overwhelmed. And it's painful. A and as far as she can tell, it's hopeless. <laughs> What specifically is it about her situation? Well, I want you to notice here that she gives these three daughters-in-law, or these two daughters-in-law, three reasons that they should turn back and go with her first. She says it's because she is old and barren. Look again, and I want to read again verses 11 and 12. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. It is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. There are three reasons that Naomi gives them to go back. And the first is that she is barren. And she's too old to have children. Uh, she's an older woman. And this thing that she is referring to here that may sound a little bit unusual to us is something that is called leveret marriage. Now, what is leveret marriage? Well, in their day, if uh, there was a man... And, and woman who were married and something happened and the man died fell on the obligation of his next brother to marry this woman and raise up children for him and for the family to continue to extend the family and, and extend his name and his rights and the inheritance and so on and so forth this is a stipulation that is not just tradition but it's actually given in Israel's law in Deuteronomy chapter 25 and so to keep everything in the family, uh, the name and the reputation, this second brother has to marry to provide children. And, and I think this is what Naomi is referring to here. Uh, and so these 
these daughters-in-law understand that if they are or to, to have any hope to restore things for her and to get the land back and to continue the name of Elimelech and these two sons, they've got to marry in the family, which means that Naomi has to have kids, sons. And if this is what they're referring to, and I think it is, well, Naomi's saying it's too late. I, I'm old. I think what Naomi is saying is, you know, a, a woman has a, a certain period of life where she can have kids, and I'm past that. I can't, I can't have kids anymore. It, it, it's over. <laughs> it's an impossibility. She's past the time of, of childbearing, and even if she weren't, she wouldn't have to just have one, but she'd have to have two, right? <laughs> she'd have to have two sons. And so in her mind, she sees no way that this can work. And so she tries to reason with Ruth and Orpah. Uh, and she gives them another reason. Second, she, she tells them that they must refrain. They, have to, they would have to refrain. Let's say, she's wondering aloud to them, that I was married tonight. Let's say that I had a husband tonight. And I became pregnant. And I had two, let's just say, the story doesn't say this, but let's just imagine, I had two twin boys born at the same exact time. You're still going to have to wait. How long? 20 years at least, right? Thereabouts. And really, in Hebrew tradition, the men usually married around age 30. But let's say that we're going to break tradition. You still have to wait 20 years. Are you going to do that? I mean... Any offers that you might get between now and then, you'd have to say, no, I'm waiting for <clears throat> you know, the, the, the five-year-old that they might be taking care of. <laughs> I'm waiting for this guy to grow up so I can marry him and have kids. And... And Naomi's saying, are you, are you going to do that? This word refrain here means to, to lock up. And so basically what Ruth and Orpah have to do is just kind of lock themselves away. That is, uh, they, they have to uh, promise and, and make an agreement that they're not going to take any other offers that are going to come their way. Uh, this principle that Naomi is talking about here is, is, well, we have a little expression that we use. A, a bird in hand is better than two in the bush. Have you ever heard that? What does that mean? Look, you've got an opportunity now. You're still pretty young. You can still have kids. You can find husbands. You're, you're going to say no to that and wait, and then by the time you, you get around to these guys being old enough, even if I could, which I can't, <laughs> See how silly this is? <laughs> but then she gives them one more reason. She's old and barren, and then they would have to refrain. They'd have to wait 20 to 30 years. And finally, the last reason is that the Lord is against her. If you will, look again, the second half of verse 13. Know, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me, or bitter to me, for, the, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Naomi is saying, look, you don't want to go with me. God's against me. 
Specifically, she says, the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant Lord of, of my people. He's not for me. He's against me. This particular phrase that she uses about the hand of the Lord being against her is something that is used uh, in other places in Scripture. And it always uh, speaks of God dealing with his enemies or, or God delving out judgment. It's spoken of how God deals with the, he, uh, the, the Egyptians. The hand of the Lord was against them. It is used to reference the rebellious generation that came up to the door of Canaan and saw the giants and said, no, we can't do it. And God sent them back out into the wilderness to die. Because of their unbelief. So Naomi is, is basically saying here, you don't want to go with me. God's against me. I, I'm under the curse of God. You don't want to go with me. I have to tell you, at this point, I would have said, okay, <laughs> you convinced me. I don't want to be anywhere around you. Going back to Moab. <laughs> I like my chances there a lot better. How, how bitter the cup that Naomi has been given. Do you know that cup? I, I, I do. Some of you do. I, I've talked with you. And uh, it's not good, is it? That feeling when things have gone so bad. And, and then you, you, you even pray and it doesn't seem that God's listening. There, there's no answer. You, you cry out. You beg. And, and there's no more tears. And the pain is so great. And it feels as if the Lord has abandoned you. And so we have here in verse 14 another episode where there is this loud wailing and crying. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. This is, a, this is a rough scene, folks. This is hard. I, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, sometimes I see other people crying like this just, just hysterically. It makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> it's hard to watch, isn't it? This is the scene before us. But what we must understand is that when we're in those times, when we're in those seasons where the bitter cup is, is put before us and we have to drink from it, those are the times where we are most identified with Christ. In Colossians 1, Paul mentions his, his sufferings, filling up what is lacking in the uh, afflictions of Christ. That's our identity now as believers. Uh, more explicitly, as Paul in Romans 8, 16, 17, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Uh, and if children, then heirs, and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That all sounds great to that point, doesn't it? But then when you keep on, you're like, ugh. Heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified. No glorification without suffering. 
we have to drink from this bitter cup at times. But we must remember that there is a most bitter cup that we will never have to drink from. The cup of God's wrath. As bitter as it may be, you'll never know that bitter cup because Jesus drank that cup for you. That was the cup placed before Jesus, the outpouring of the full wrath of God. And so detestable it was that our Lord Jesus prayed, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But not, not my will, but yours be done. And so Jesus took that bitter cup. And he drank it all for you. And though it may seem that God is not there, that we've become his enemies, that's not true. That's a lie. He'll never leave us. He'll never abandon us. He's there. In the darkest hours, He's there and we can hang on knowing that the light is coming. There's a glorious future for every one of us who have looked to the Lord Jesus. Amen? Well, we've considered our two observations, the, the foolishness of God and the cup of bitterness. And so now we come to this choice and we come to the question. And the question before you is, which way will you go? Which way will you go? Will you go back to the ways of the world or will you press on to the promised land? I want you to notice first that we need to recognize that a choice must be made. Uh, where is the setting for this story again? It's on the way. We don't know where. Middle of nowhere, right? <laughs> no man's land. And the decision that is put before Ruth and Orpah, one of the options is not, you could just stay right here where we're having this conversation. That's not an option, is it? I want to impress on you, brothers and sisters, that to not decide is a decision. To sit and languish is a decision. It is a rejection And so, that's not an option. Nothing is not an option. The choices are to kiss Naomi and return to Moab, the place of security, so it seems, but also the place of idolatry, the, the enemy. This is enemy territory. <laughs> Remember, these are the people who are not even allowed in the worship assembly. Well, after this second crying scene, the, the weeping and wailing and bawling and crying, it says that Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. Now, that may seem rather insignificant, but folks, I, I want you to grasp what's going on here. Uh, do you realize what Orpah is saying? She's saying, you're right. I have no hope going back to Bethlehem, the house of bread. 
the promised land being with God's people. I think my chances are better to go back. I, I like, I like my, my chances going back. And so she kisses her mother-in-law, and this kiss is a seal. It's a permanent goodbye. We never hear Orpah's name mentioned again. We don't know what becomes of her. But this is her saying back, I'm, I'm going back to my old life. I'm going back to my old friends, my old ways. She's known this person, Naomi, for at least 10 years. And it appeared that there was some close tie there. She leaves, but along the way, she's convinced, no, 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 no. This would be a mistake. I'm going back. And so, she kisses Naomi and turns away. And in the scene, the picture that we have is Orpah walking away and leaving Ruth and Naomi there. Now there's another choice. It goes on to say, but Ruth clung to her. Clung to her. Now, we're not going to take the time to unpack Ruth's response uh, in toto today. God willing, we're going to do this next week. But just for now, we can see something very important, very significant in this response, in that first, Ruth did not kiss her mother-in-law. This is the kiss that never was. This is the kiss that Naomi is hoping for. For Ruth's sake, the best thing for you to do is kiss me and walk away. And no, it doesn't happen. There is no goodbye. But instead, what does Ruth do? It says Ruth clung to her. This word pops up from time to time. Guess where it pops up? first in the scriptures. Genesis chapter 2 where Adam is brought this wonderful bride and scripture says for this cause a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. What does that mean? It means permanent it means never to be separated. It's, it's covenantal. And that's all I'm going to give you for today. All right? This is a beautiful response, and Ruth has this beautiful speech that we'll look at, God willing, next time. But this is a permanent clinging to, obviously it doesn't mean literally that she held her all the way back, but no, I'm with you. And so as we evaluate this passage and we evaluate where we are in life and we evaluate the choices that are before us, I want you to see that the Lord Jesus extends His arms to you and says, Come to Me. But where are you? What are you going through? Is it hard? Are you weary? Are you beat down? Has your faith gotten weak? Do you, do you think it's hopeless? What does the Lord Jesus say? Come to Me. You who are weary, 
and I will give you rest. If you remember back in the story, that was the prayer that Naomi had for these, for these young ladies. May the Lord grant you rest. Guess which one of the two is going to find it. It's not going to be Orpah. It's going to be Ruth. Because this rest can only come to you when you come to Bethlehem the house of bread, the city of the great king. And we come to the Lord Jesus Christ today and cling firmly to him. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful for your goodness and mercy and love. And we're thankful that you extend to us this gracious invitation that you say, come, you who are weary, come to me. Lord, I pray that every heart and soul here today will respond accordingly. We come to you today, Lord Jesus, for only in you can we find the rest that our souls so greatly desire. We ask all this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>